When we planned this series of podcasts, we jumped onto our Facebook groups to ask our members what they wanted us to cover next. And one of the topics that emerged that people were asking about is what differentiates the people that make it to build sites full-time and make it their real lifestyle compared to people that don't and the amateurs. So in today's episode, Mark and I are going to be answering this question in depth so that you know what you need to do to make it to being a full-time site builder. Let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. No hype, no BS, no censorship. Just real-life online marketing tactics. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. I'm just going to get to what everyone's waiting for. How's it going, Mark? Fantastic, as always. Thanks. <laughs> cool. So now that it's out of the way, we're actually going to jump into the topic because probably like people don't care that much. So let's jump into the topic. But I think I wanted to like go back to our experience, actually, which is how long has it been since we actually been working on just our own sites? No client work, no agency or anything? Uh, over six years now. Well, se- actually seven years because we there was a bit of an overlap. In, so seven years we stopped the agency? No. no, so we stopped at the end of uh, 2014, start of 2015, and uh-huh. then but for two years prior to that, yeah, uh, yeah. we were working on our own size. Yeah, but we are not full time, so it's like that's kind of the nuance here. It's sure. like so that that is kind of, and that was my next question. Like, what do you think was the biggest shift from essentially having? It wasn't a job; we had our own business, but it was more of a it was a like a, a job. Yeah, and then what changed the most between us focusing full time now versus us not being able to focus full time before? Um, that is a tough question. There wasn't really a cliff edge moment. They're like, oh, okay, now we're professionals. It was still, it was a very sort of gradual process. And even now, there's we still catch ourselves doing things which are like really probably not not what we should be doing. So I think it's just like a thing that evolves bit by bit over time. I think for me, it's the focus actually. Just the fact that like a large share of my mind was focused on keeping the agency running, client projects, thinking about stuff like sales as well, all of that. It's like the last thing I wanted to do at the end of the day is work on another website. <laughs> it's a kind of like, you know, like pure, like uh, baristas don't drink coffee, you know? And it's, um, so it was kind of the same. And I feel that now I can use like that prime, like I call it prime energy. It's like the beginning of the day, I have like 24 hours where I'm like doing a lot and slowly throughout the day, it just decreases in productivity. And like that prime time was dedicated to other things, to my the main breadwinner, let's say. And now it can be dedicated to our own projects. And that has had a massive impact, I'd say, not on how much we've done, but rather on how well we do things. Like I'm willing to spend more attention and effort onto the things that when I have my main focus time on, you know? I would say a little bit differently, actually. So there's definitely an element of when you're full-time on something with no other business, no other distractions, no other work, you can focus on a lot more and it's, you just get more done. I do feel though that in the early days, you know, the first few years of us doing this, we we were kind of like spinning tires a little bit on certain projects. And we didn't really, I wouldn't say we were like being super efficient at it. And it didn't feel like a kind of wild, well-oiled machine. It was a bit kind of scary. Yeah, but the progress was much I've, faster as soon as you went full-time. Like it, it allowed the progress. It did. It unlocked the progress, I, w- I would say is true. But the progress was very slow and gradual. There's been a few points over the over the last sort of few years 
where we've started to like really focus on just doing a few things very, very well and like saying no to a lot of other stuff Mm -hmm. that I feel has like contributed much, much more towards our our growth. Though you could argue that that it's easy to say that because if your site's already doing well and you grow it, it's massive. But, you know, if you're starting from zero or 500 bucks a month and you grow at 50%, 50% is a lot, but it's not really that much at, at that level. So maybe there's an element of that in play. It's just a perspective that makes you feel that. I feel like we progressed out actually. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm just going to do a plug because I haven't done it in like, I think I was checking like 20 weeks or something. Like basically, if you want to go from being amateur to a pro, we actually have a free training on autohackertraining.com. There will be the URL if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, it's a free webinar I've done. There's two hours of training. Uh, we do actually pitch our beginners course at the end. But the free training is actually better than some paid trainings I've seen around. Like we actually put a lot of effort into that. Uh, so go check that out if you are interested in that because a lot of people have had a lot of value from that. But anyway, let's jump into the meat of the podcast now. And uh, we're essentially going to go through different things that we think pros are doing differently from people who are just getting started or amateurs, people who haven't done well yet. And maybe that's going to maybe create some kind of mind shift in some people and make them do things a little bit differently, which would be great. Even if it changes the life of like a few people, this podcast would be worth it. So the first thing I want to talk about is mindset. And I think it's uh, one of the most important things, uh, much more than which plugins you're using on WordPress or like how fast is your website or uh, all of that. Uh, I think one of the main differences is like, um, one thing that really irks me, right? It's like when I talk about authority hackers, people, they're like, oh, you need a case study. You need to show people how, how to do that. And I'm like, okay, sure. But like, there's been a lot. I mean, if you look at someone like Spencer, for example, on Niche Pursuits, he's done four case studies that all have been fairly successful, for example. Neil Patel's done one, Pat Flynn's done several, etc. Do you need do you really need another case study to believe that this model can work? Do you really need that? And if you do, then you're definitely on the amateur side. Like, I don't think this business model needs to be proven again. Just go check the marketplaces, go check Empire Flipper and Flipper, et cetera, and like FE International. Uh, Sites that sell for six, seven figures sell every single day on these platforms. And these are sites like uh, the sites that you see in these case studies. So do you really need another case study to build up that confidence that it still works in 2020? Yes, it still works. Like it worked in 2019 and 2018 and 2017 and for many, many years. And to be honest, it's not like it's just going to boom, drop all of a sudden. It might fluctuate a little bit, the business model, but it's not like it's, it's, you need to see that if it works again in the last six months. And I feel like when we look at the support, it's crazy uh, the kind of questions that we get. It just amazes me, to be honest. I had Miles Backler was on this podcast a few months back. Yeah. And he did a, it was a 12 month case study for a brand new site and niche he'd never been in. And one really interesting thing that surprised me a lot was that when he announced it, he had all these people coming to him saying they're going to stop what they're doing and wait until he does his case study to make sure they do it right. And that just, it honestly, it blew my mind that that was even like a possibility. It's procrastination. It's just finding an excuse to do nothing. And then uh, it is procrastination and lack of self-confidence, which I think is one of the things that the pros have. It's like they understand, they are, they know that they will make a site. Like when we start a new site, I have no doubt we'll make it work. The question is like how long and how much? But but like making it work, I have no doubt that we have not failed the site in a really long time, basically, that we actually tried uh, properly. And I, it's like, and again, as you check the marketplaces and you check the Facebook groups and you like, you know, hundreds of people are making this work today. 
And so, no, you do not need another case study to believe that this works again. And if you do, then you're secretly procrastinating and finding, uh, you know, it's like I studied, like uh, I was studying negotiation in Hong Kong. Uh, and the guy was like, honestly, one of the best teachers I ever had. Uh, he was like gen- uh, negotiating outsourcing contracts for General Motors, etc. And one of he, the negotiation tactics that he really liked was blaming it on the third party that you have no control over. So like people would want you to agree to something. They'd be like, hey, can you agree to this price or something? And then so that you could f- go further in the negotiation, you would say, yes, but if... And then you put a condition that you have no control over. So yes, but if my boss says yes when I go back to the office, or yes, but if blah, blah, blah. And what it allows you to do is put a delay on things and essentially get things that you want during that time while giving the feeling to people that they actually got what they wanted in negotiation. And then you can just trigger that, well, my boss said no, and then you just take it off. And then, and then that, that's it. You took what you wanted from the negotiation while giving a fake win to the, to, the, to the opposing party. And so this is exactly what people are doing when they're asking for another case study. They are just putting it on the third party, and then they just, if that, if that, so if that case study is not absolutely exceptional, they'll find a good reason to not do it and not do anything and not make it work, even though it's just like one site in hundreds that are being built all the time. Or if it's a public case study, they'll copy the, the oh, yeah, case study site and just try and make another version of it so they can replicate the the success. Exactly. So please, yeah, if you didn't like it, you do not need another case study. And that's one of the reasons I don't do it as well, because the truth is I don't want to attract these people. I totally hacker. I feel I'd rather talk about practical tactics and, and focus on action takers. So to, focusing on that, I think another thing that differentiates amateurs from pros is ambition. I think the amateurs just want to make a living. They just want to pay the bill. They'd be like, oh, it'd be great if I made $1,000 a month, et cetera. Whereas the pros are like, well, I want to build something that's much bigger, et cetera. It's not, they don't just want to pay their rent. They want to actually build a company. And it's one of these things, right? It's like, I like to take the example of, uh, of SpaceX for that because SpaceX wants to go to Mars, right? And um, going to Mars is a fucking high ambition. But the thing is, even if SpaceX never makes it to Mars, but manages to send people on the moon that stay on the moon, it's still the greatest achievement of a private company pretty much ever. Like only governments have managed to do that on government budgets, etc. It's like as an achievement, it's amazing. And it's one of these things, aim for Mars. And if you make it to the moon, you already it's already amazing. So if you even if you're aiming to, to build a really great company, but you only manage to like get a really cool lifestyle out of it, but not build a company of 300 employees, still pretty good. But if you aim to just make a living and you don't make it, then you're going to make $500 a month and you're going to be one of these people that's making 500 bucks a month and is an amateur and is doing it as a side project. So I think, you know, when you pick your niche, when you hire people, et cetera, having that like kind of framework in your head that you want to build something bigger than what you need will influence your decisions in a way that will make you more successful. Yeah, I think like the pros, they're definitely aiming higher. We've rejected quite a few niches, which I think would be fantastic niches, really easy to do. The DNA well. testing, like we, we talked about this. For DNA example. testing yeah. one, yeah. So like 23andMe and, and all these, there's, there's, there's a few sites out there now doing it, like reviewing them and, and making affiliate commissions on them. But I think that would have been really easy to create a site and just dominate it. But you know, the market size there is pretty small. The commission's pretty low. We we reckoned, you know, high four figures, low five figures. I think it's good as a like portfolio. Like if cap. you have a portfolio of like four or five sites and you want to like run multiple sites and do pure SEO games, maybe like it can be part of one of them. Uh, if it's, it's not a main project, it's too small for that, I think. 
So, I mean, like, if we're starting a new site, I'm almost certain that we're going to make it work. The only areas in which I wouldn't be confident is something like casino or yeah, um, okay. or, or some, like, really sketchy industries where you can't use, like, the, the traditional tactics and it's all black hat or whatever. But in general, you know, we're, we're aiming high. We're looking at high-paying offers, how much money there is in the space, and that's driving a lot of our, our decision-making because, you know, it's, it's, it's really motivating to compete in a niche like that which is which is super competitive one other thing i would say actually about like a pro mindset is you know how often do you read other internet marketing blogs yeah not not a lot i mean i skim through the title and if something seems interesting maybe i do but like things like i always blame myself for not doing it but like every time i go back i'm like (laughs) so it's a balance right you have to it's good to consume information which other people are publicly sharing and that that's fantastic. But it's very easy to go overboard and get into this kind of like learning keyboard joke. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, so you know, like back in the day there's these people on like warrior forum and all they do is they're super active on the forum. They read everything, they have answers to every everything that everyone's saying, but they don't have their own business. They they maybe make a few hundred bucks a month. They're not not really doing it. They're just talking about it the whole time. And you have to be careful not to like get sucked into to that kind of mindset or, or mentality. And another one is like communities and, and groups. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm, I'm sorry for everyone who's like super active in our groups. That's great, I love it. But the people who are doing that and are also doing very well on their sites um, are few and far between, let's be honest. It's just microglipsy, really. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, and one thing I wanted to say as well, last one for the mindset, is the pros are willing to work with incomplete information and understand the ability to deal with that. Like we talked about this for keyword tools, for example. None of the keyword tools are accurate in terms of number of traffic and search volume, et cetera. Like it's all very uh, inaccurate numbers. And then, and, and I see it, it's kind of like hilarious because we have this beginners group uh, and we have this more advanced group. And as soon as we release that podcast episode when we talk about keyword tools, is the beginners group that went to the, to flames, you know, and people are like, oh, how can we how can we plan our site if we don't have correct information? And it's like, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. It's like uh, I'm gonna start like a lot of questioning, etc. Whereas the pros just like kept going business as usual and understood that um, it was always the case anyway. It's just that we're just putting the spotlight on this, but really, it's been around for a long time, and it's like. It's part of just taking any kind of higher position, even in business, etc., is dealing with uncertainty and measuring risk. And if you've never done that, it's very scary. And then as you progress and gain experience, then you get more and more comfortable with it. And essentially, self-confidence it allows you to take action a lot faster and take more opportunities, basically. And correct any, any mistakes you make, which is often an easier thing to do, is make the mistake, correct it further down once you have more experience or information rather than waiting years to like try and figure out how to do it perfectly yeah. and not Exactly, you take ground. action, then you fix it rather than just wait till you actually know exactly perfectly because you probably never know. Uh, and yeah. it's the same as the case study. It's exactly the same thing. It's like if you need another case study that's less than six months old to believe that this business model can work, uh, I'm sorry, but you're probably not going to do that well. Anyway, let's jump on to the next one, which is actually choosing a niche. Go ahead. What is the difference between amateurs and pro in your opinion? Uh, so for an amateur, you're typically targeting low competition niches. So you want to have a certainty that this is going to work. That's, I would say, your, your primary goal. You don't want to overshoot. And, you know, nobody wants to overshoot, but you just don't really have that same mentality of, I can make this work. It's going to work. The doubt 
is certainly there at, at this stage. And this can often lead to subpar decision-making um, in terms of, of choosing niches, which are low competition, but also low potential ceiling and low potential profit. Often people will stick to what they know. So if they have a, a particular hobby or experience in doing a certain thing or a certain area, they'll choose that as the default and they won't explore what other options there are. They won't compare their own, the niche that they want to go into other ones out there to get a feel for, you know, are there a lot of products to promote here? What's the monetization? What's the traffic potential? So I think really a pro would approach something completely objectively, knowing that even if they're interested in it, you know, certainly take that into account because it's going to help you. But it's not the be all and end all of the decision making process for choosing a niche. You know, you'd always bring in writers or experts to, to create the content. You don't need to know this stuff. I would say as a pro, you're following the money first and foremost. Um, you're not afraid to go into niches which are competitive. Actually, one thing I see a lot of amateurs do is they'll they'll try and find a niche that no one else has done, oh, yeah. which is either which is either because there's no money in it or it's like such a small sub sub subset of of a niche that there's no other site. So they think, oh, nobody's done this. I'm the first. That's a good thing. But that's almost always a bad thing. Because if no one else is doing it, chances are 99.9% of the time, there's no money there uh, when it comes to authority sites, at least. So be very, 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 very careful of that. In terms of like pros, you know, the, the types of niches I'm talking about here is like credit cards or I'm, I'm thinking um, hosting uh, affiliate. There's like a, a, a really popular one these days. And this ludicrously competitive in both those spaces, but man, the amount of payouts and money that's available is is just just crazy. So it certainly takes someone with a bit more, I think, experience to tackle something like that. I would not go to go in, in those kind of niches as a beginner. And I think ultimately that's it's all about the confidence in your ability to make any niche work, which is going to determine you know which which side of the fence you're on with this. Yeah, I think uh, I think one main difference for me is like the amateurs focus on how much traffic they might be able to get in a niche, and the pros focus on how much money they might be able to make per sale. And I, I mentioned that in the case study post of the site we sold. The reason we grew it so fast is because uh, we in terms of revenue is because well the payout was really high per sale. And so we didn't need to make that many sales to get to five figures per month of, of revenue. And uh, if we were selling stuff on Amazon, it would definitely not be this level of revenue. It would probably be 10 times less or something like that. And it's something that people still struggle to get. It's like a lot of people in this niche are really, really into SEO, but very, very little into monetization. And they never really get to learn the networks, the offers, the niches how to negotiate, better payments, all these things, which are equally important to your ability to get traffic and often more. I mean, we were able to increase our revenue by like 30 or 40% in one month just because of these things without getting really more traffic or anything like that. So if you want to get, if you want to do better, you need to learn this world of, uh, if you want to do affiliate marketing, affiliate marketing, if you want to do funnels, funnels, etc. Like you can't just learn how to get traffic from SEO and just look at keywords and be like, that's how I pick a niche. That is not how you do that. It's just one part of the equation. The way the money you make is traffic you get multiplied by conversion rate multiplied by payout. And then and so the traffic you get is one of these three. Uh, the, the, the conversion rate is going to be based on CRO and the actual offers you promote. And then the, the payout is going to be based on, well, the offers you promote, your ability to negotiate higher payouts. Um, so it's that that's it. A pro considers all these three options. 
newbies focus on just SEO and keywords, which, and, and I can see it, you know, when we talk about hardcore affiliate stuff that does not involve SEO, I see the podcast download numbers just go down. <laughs> and then as soon as we go back to like how to get featured snippets or something like that, then, then the, the download numbers go crazy high up. And if you're one of these people that just keeping the podcasts, when we are talking about these things, well, then I put you, if you ask me objectively, I'll put you more on the amateur side. Unless you're like really, really good at this other stuff and then you don't need it. That's possible too. But I think most people that keep it are, are more in that side. And so what I'm saying by that is, yeah, you need to focus on these other things that are not SEO if you want to make good money because SEO does not pay the bills. Anything else on choosing a niche? No. All right. So jump on planning the website. And um, it's also one of these things. I mean, if you've been through the authority site system, I'm doing that part. And people are kind of amazed at how long that part is. And it's funny because I'm doing updates now. It's like even longer, but by a lot. <laughs> so it's getting, it's getting quite crazy, actually. But people will realize that I love planning and we don't even buy our domain names before we even know every single page we're going to do on the website for pretty much the first year. Like uh, one of the recent sites that we did, I planned 200 pages before we bought the domain name, for example. That was how much I knew about this. And I was willing to spend uh, more than a month planning it properly because I knew that if I know exactly where I want to be, then it's really easy, first of all, to instruct it to other people. So when we build a team, et cetera, it's very simple to explain and be like, and also what it allowed me to do when I planned this much is actually to identify strategically which sections we needed. It's like, oh, this section is easier to get links. Oh, this section is easier to rank because these are like easy VS keywords, et cetera. And we were able to kind of like balance depending on the performance of the site and how we wanted to do. But you can only do that if you spend a lot of time in planning. And what amateurs do is they go on Team Forest, they get excited by some WordPress team, although Team Forest is not really a thing anymore. They, whatever, they just uh, see on the Facebook group. That's what we like did this. back in the day. Yeah, it's not really what people do anymore. Like it's like, so, you know, it's like, uh, it's like when you think that um, that uh, college students are on Facebook, they're not, you know, they're on TikTok and on, uh, on Snapchat now. So that's the thing. It's like you need to be willing to spend a lot of time on spreadsheets. You need to be willing to spend a lot of time on planning monetization, going back to the previous one as well, understanding like how you're going to make money, et cetera. And you, you also need to be willing to pay for the best possible information. And that's also one of these blowouts that came out with us saying that QO tools are not that accurate anymore, especially Ahrefs, because Ahrefs, is essentially on the most expensive side of the QO tool spectrum, apart from some enterprise tool uh, tools. And people were surprised that we said that despite the fact that, yeah, it is, it, it got worse. Jumpshot, it doesn't sell them data anymore, it got worse. We're still willing to use that. And the, the truth is I've actually retested pretty much all QO tools to be able to say that publicly. So I spent time on QO Finder, I spent time on SEMrush, I spent time on Ubersuggest, I spent time on Substat, like all of these on premium accounts, etc. I tried all of it. And in the end, I just went back to Ahrefs despite the fact that it was worse. And um, pros will understand that they're willing to spend, you know, an extra few hundred bucks to get better data and better planning so that they actually, uh, even if it increases their chances of success by 5 or 10%, it's so expensive to pay people to it's create a big content. Advantage, yeah. I mean, how much does content cost when you outsource it? How much do links cost? Like buying a link from a link seller is 150 bucks per link for like a very average link. And then buying a piece of content, if you want someone that's not complete crap and actually will spend the time to do a good piece of content, uh, it's also in the three figures for for a good piece of content. So, you know, when people complain about spending 200 bucks on Ahrefs, I'm like, 
I don't get it. You know, it's like it's uh, I'm happy to spend that money compared to how much it costs to actually put the website together. And if it helps me make five to ten percent better decisions on two hundred pages than I plan, it's absolutely worth the cost. And so. Yeah, it's like I think beginners are trying to look for free tools and free all of that, etc. And and I think it surprises a lot of people when we go in the Autorista system as well. And we actually recommend people pay for an expensive tool uh, for keyword research when a lot of competitors will be like, oh, you can do it for free with Google Autocomplete and stuff like that. And the fact is, from what I've seen, we have quite a few more uh, success stories with our course <laughs> because people are actually relying on hard data versus actually just trying to skip it out quickly and go fast and, and go with lower quality data. So I will stick to that. I think people should invest in data. It's not that expensive compared to the grand scheme of things. And uh, pros understand that and are willing to spend the time and the money. Amateurs are usually uh, willing to just skip into logging into WordPress and play with plugins, etc. Anything else on the site planning? No, not really. All right. Let's jump on to the next point, which is also building your site and tech setup. And I think there's a there's a really quite large difference here, and I think it's going to surprise a lot of people, right? Because I think the pros, and that's where the pros are more conservative than the amateurs, I think. The pros are willing to spend money on the keyword tools and all of that. And the amateurs are more willing to spend money on fancy plugins that do fancy things and automate things, etc. Whereas the pros tend to be very conservative with their site setup. Many pros tend to use not even Gutenberg, but the original WordPress editor because they want the code to be slightly cleaner, etc. And in general, when you're a pro, you don't want to use any tool that's less than two or three years old and has a proven track record of updating their tool, their plugin, and they're like a good company. And you don't jump into these things. You let other people figure this stuff out and break their site. And you keep things simple with really basic branding and just like focus on putting content and building links. Whereas amateurs will look for the latest plugin that does that little trick that's kind of interesting or whatever, like, you know, FAQ, FAQ snippets or something. They're also obsessed with page speed usually. Like a lot of the people that I know that are doing really well, um, I mean, for the people that run ads, they already don't have great page speed because, well, ads destroy it. But even for those who don't run ads, they have okay page speed, but it's, it's not the absolute best page speed. And people that make the most money don't have the fastest sites. Go on Mashable.com and all these sites that are like, whatever, like go on these massive media sites. They are not the fastest sites in the world and they actually get the most traffic. It's purely because page speed is a very, very measurable Yeah, it's the one metric. thing that's measurable. Whereas content quality or you know these kind of other other things which are just inherently impossible to measure and you can't get tools that measure them uh, it feels like you're making progress if you get your site speed from a, a d to a b or whatever but how much difference is that actually going to make make to your bottom line like when we have increased page speed it really there's there's been a few occasions when you know little things have improved here and there and yes it's nice to have uh, maybe like the time on site. You don't see the revenue move, right? you know, that to, much. To but honestly, like it's just so far down the priority list. And I think people put a much higher importance on it than, than it actually deserves. Yeah, I think you, and it's the same for the tools and the features, etc. Like you can build a site with like the free Yoast Generate Press. We like Elementor, so we can do everything design. And it's like, it's not too bad for the page speed. And the basic WordPress hosting. You don't need that, all these fancy tools and plugins, etc. And And as I said, the pros only invest in tried and tested tools versus new tools. Like if you are getting excited for a new IM tool, again, it's like, and that's why we don't do these promos, by the way. That's why we, we very, very rarely, we promoted Link Whisper not long ago, but it's, 
it's almost two years old now, uh, and they've actually proven that they wanted to update because I did the review. <laughs> I kind of like trashed a bit of it, and then they actually fixed a lot of the stuff I said wasn't very good. So we did promote these guys, but we very rarely promote tools because of that. Because the people that do that, that promote a new tool every every two weeks, they're the people that want to keep you running on that shiny object and want to keep you being amateurs. It's not what's going to make you money or successful, etc. It's a little bit unfortunate for us because... Oh, we make so know, much more money, we, yeah. We, <laughs> yeah, for, first and foremost, but you know, it's very difficult to just sit here every single week and say, hey guys, just like yeah, build yeah. content, build links, you know, do the basics more and more and more. Like there, there's a kind of element, it's like the news, right? You know, if, if, you, if there's a day when like everything in the world is fine and normal, there's not a headline saying that. It's always like something wrong know, or something new or something different. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, like sensationalized. But the core, honestly, of building businesses, building online businesses like this, it's very simple, it's very grindy, it's very boring, it's very repetitive. And that's, I think, a huge difference. Uh, it's the same for all SEO news, by the way. Like, you know, I'll take an example. The change, oh my God. The change to no follow, <laughs> right? It's like the change from, from no follow to well equal sponsored and all of that. Has it changed anything to you? Because it hasn't changed anything for us whatsoever and it was all over the news and people were like oh my god it's going to change everything etc and it's like there's a lot of these things that get sensationalized because people make a living publishing these things and promoting them but really in the end like yeah it's a 0.1 percent change for these things you know honestly if you're sitting there refreshing all the search engine news websites if you're out there refreshing all of the seo news websites looking for like the latest tip or the latest thing to come in. Like, honestly, it's such a waste of time. Nobody at a high level is is paying much attention to those kinds of sites because they just feed off of like irrelevant information that's not going to make any difference to what you're doing day in, day out. And there's all this kind of like sensationalized stuff which gets clicks and which has like titles which don't really communicate the the meaning and like there's that one we did a whole podcast on it on guest posting guest posting being, is dead yeah uh, yeah and it was just like ah oh god they're, they're just doing this to get clicks you know these are amateur traps right it's like this is this is what and it's like the thing is like amateurs read these things and just drop everything and like they're like oh then then I'm not going to do guest posting anymore it's all over uh, same recently right it's like uh, I think John Mueller said like oh any any guest posting is basically gray hat or something like this and people just everyone stopped at this point the thing is like if you run a clean guest posting campaign I have yet to see a site that actually gets penalized or loses rankings for that therefore in their enforcement that's not exactly it's maybe a, it's like a philosophical debate versus reality, which is kind of yeah. entertaining when you're like the communication for webmasters. So it's like, again, you have to create content so you can have these philosophical debates that are not necessarily very much in phase with real life. And the people that are in the office like looking for spam, et cetera, and like they're definitely not looking for like, if you have a really high quality guest post on a good site and there's a do follow link, I'm pretty sure you'll be fine, you know? It's kind of like, it reminds me of a lot. So here in Scotland, a couple of years ago, they introduced 20 mile per hour speed limits in uh, the city center. And it's very difficult to drive that slowly in built up areas. I mean, all these areas used to be 30 miles an hour. So it's kind of like I, I equate Google to the government in that sense. So that they make these rules and you say you shouldn't do this. But then there's like what the rules say and what they say and like how life actually goes on and what people actually do. Those are not always the same. Yep. So interpreting the nuances is really difficult. And certainly if you if you read 
some article or some quote even by John Mueller himself that says, oh, you God, know, yeah. don't do this. You know, you can't just take everything at face value. You have to kind of weigh things up and interpret things as well. There's, I've always said there's the rules and there's the enforcement line, you know, and then these are yeah. two completely different lines. And I think it's a nuance that a lot of people play on to gain competitive advantage, where there will be a rule that's really restrictive, but the enforcement is much further. And then there's the people that actually obey by the rule. These people tend to actually lose an advantage against the people that understand what the enforcement line is and actually use uh, things to their full potential, which is an argument for doing gray hat SEO, by the way. Uh, you could essentially say that. After that, it's like the, the enforcement line uh, is probably somewhere in between. Uh, it's probably somewhere in the light gray or something like this for Google, but they will give you the rules at the pure, pure white, whitest of white thing. So I think there's also a subset of people, often authors for big websites, they have a very negative view about everything that's going on in the world, like almost like borderline conspiracy theory. So whenever something comes along, they try and make like a big deal about it. And like, it's, it's always negative. Oh, we have to stop this or this is a problem or, you know, yeah, watch yeah. out for this. Because it gets more views. Yeah. When in fact that the vast majority of the time life goes on and yep. stuff can. continues working the way it's always has been. Pretty much. So you should do what Tim Ferriss says and just don't read the news, but get a friend to tell you the news, basically. That's what he says in the call yeah, work week, I think. And talking about that, um, let's talk about building links and I'll let you... Is it building links next? No, it's creating content. Go ahead with that. That's the one. So the amateur way of creating content is, first of all, you write everything yourself. And I'm not completely against writing stuff yourself. I mean, Brian Dean, perfect example. He writes it all himself, although he has a lot of help along the way in various parts of that. But that, that's maybe like the best example of someone, I would say, who, who writes their own, own content. But the vast majority of marketers who are building you know, web businesses, they're not writing their own content because it's such a time sink, right? If you have to write 100 articles, you know, that's months it's going to take at best. So as a professional, you're from day one, as you're planning your content out, you're already like your job adds out. You're trying to hire hire writers to create content for you. So you're buying back a lot of time by doing this. Uh, I would also say an amateur way of thinking about this is you have quite an unstructured approach to, to content. So you'll think of it more as like a blog, as like a personal blog. So I'll write, oh, hey, I fancy writing an article about this today. But I mean, when is the last time we've ever had that a decision like that? Never or five plus years ago, because it's always any content we're creating for any of our sites is based on keyword research and planning and like where there's volume, where there's an opportunity, right? It's less kind of news focused. It's less, oh, I, I just went on holiday and I'm going to write seven things. We do that, uh, we do that for the podcast though. Like for the podcast, when there's like a news, so we'll jump on it and use that as a way to grow the podcast, for example. But it's a little bit of a different thing from like building websites. It's like it works because podcast is more of a social thing and like follower basing, etc. Whereas SEO stuff yeah, is like your keyword and such intent. Uh, the content on our, our sites, the way we build them, it's more like a library rather than a blog feed. Uh, so people, yes, okay, some people are consuming it regularly, especially on authority hackers, you know, stage three sites quite well established, has a, a strong following, uh, relatively strong following at least. But a lot of our other sites are not not at the same level, right? And we're not expecting, especially the affiliate sites, the reviews, you know, we're not expecting people to come back and read every new review we published, every new article we published on that topic. It's just, they don't really care about us. It's just, we're up there on the SERP. So that's why they're coming to us. So that's the mindset we take when creating content is like, 
creating written content is it's like a library rather than a, a blog feed. So to do this, to build hundreds of articles, aside from hiring writers, in the past, we've had multiple writers and we just like, say, oh, here's a bunch of keywords, go do it. But having content templates, so the way we would structure a review, what to include, what not to include, the sections, how we break it down, all of these really, really important. So like building consistent systems and processes that people can follow has been a big deal for us. We've This has allowed us to scale content without it all going to shit and to keep it consistent across the whole site, especially when you have multiple writers uh, in play. Yeah, I think the hubs as well is important. Like we almost never do one page on its own anymore. We build like a hub of like five, 10, 20 pages, uh, all it's the same topic. And we found that we do a lot better when we build in hubs versus when we build single pages about one topic and jump to something else, et cetera. And I think that's something that differentiates the pros and the amateurs as well, I think. That's a relevancy thing from an SEO perspective, for sure. But it's also a kind of like internal learning and development thing. So when you focus so much on like one content area, you really start to know, understand it very, very well. You know, by the time you write your fifth or 10th article uh, in, in that content cluster or that hub, you're able to write like really, really good stuff versus if you just, you know, come into it the first time and we write one article and then jumping into another category and jumping yeah. around all the time. I like also reviewing things at the same time where we do review hubs because it kind of like, it's like I'm thinking about some software issues we were into, for example. It's like, obviously they release features at different times and they kind of like copy each other as well, etc. And so reviewing them at different times is just completely unfair in terms of comparing things. And also while you're into it, you might as well check all the tools at once and do all the VS alternatives, uh, round of reviews, etc that you can at the same time. So it's like from an efficiency point of view, your writers write better content when you write a hub. And at the same time, uh, it works better on Google. So it's like, I think a lot of amateurs, yeah, they just run a the blog, they just randomly blog about whatever. And again, it's part of this planning. When you're pro, you just, yeah, you plan your clusters and you build cluster by cluster. Usually what you do is you build the beginning of a cluster. Like I like to start a hub at like five to 10 pages. And then I give it like six months max and then I'll see how well it did and if it did well then I'm going to build the rest so maybe like if I have 40 other keywords then I queue the other 40 and here we go uh, we just try to rank for pretty much every keyword and also what we do in there is that if to complete a hub we need to build a page that we have no chance to rank for but builds relevancy to the site we build that page even though it's it's extremely unlikely we would rank based on metrics and and links and uh, sites on the top etc and usually the sites we've done that for tend to do better overall in search, even though these pages don't. So uh, it's one of these things as well where we don't look, it's like we're willing to take a hit on some pages to build a full hub, basically. I'll let you take the building links as well because you do the links too for us. So, uh, so the amateur way, first of all, is don't do it. So I've seen so many people out there that they've written like 200 articles or something on their site, but not built a single link and think, oh yeah, just the content alone is going to uh, take me through. And, you know, there are cases, Miles Beckler's case study is a really good example. He built hardly any links to it, but his keyword research and his content, his content optimization was so well on, on point. Also the targeting, I believe, of his his keywords. It's not like uh, high competition stuff by by any means. What we have found consistently is that whenever we start a project, you know, we'll, we'll get content going as soon as the link building really starts kicking in, as soon as we start landing a good amount of links, it just takes off. Uh, and we see it time and time again. There's a huge, huge, huge 
correlation there. So you have to make link building like a core part of your business on the same on par with with content as well. You can't just do one. So that being said, if you're if you're going to do it, what I notice a lot of amateurs do is they will try and find. They're always looking for a new tactic, right? So they'll they'll learn about this one one way to build links. They'll try it. They'll send you know a handful of messages unoptimized the first time they've done it. So they'll maybe make a few mistakes or you know, the messaging's not quite on point. And then they won't get the results they were expecting because they haven't had a statistically significant num- amount of data, they're not doing it properly, they haven't learned how to do it properly. And then they'll conclude that, okay, this one doesn't work, I need another tactic. And then they'll go out there and they'll try and find another tactic. And then they'll sort of half-ass the implementation of that and they'll repeat that again and again and again. And they'll just conclude all link building doesn't work or it's it's impossible. And then they'll try and like buy links from some service provider that's way too expensive and ends up selling them PBN links or something. Uh, anyway, so all, that, all that's to say the correct approach how to really think about link building is that it's a process and you're building a business process that is going to evolve over time. So you need to, first of all, understand that it's a numbers game. So you need to have a lot of prospects going in. You need to be filtering all. You need to be sending to as many people as you can using proper data methods to like find email addresses or to you know filter filter things or, or sort out your targeting and just be clever about that. And you need to set put enough throughput through this process and you need to respond like and put, spend time when it where it really matters. So that could be in very detailed prospecting if you're doing some kind of like sniper outreach or if you're even like a shotgun style outreach if you're uh, sending a lot it's worth spending a lot of time in the negotiation so when when emails come back and a professional or pro understands like where to sort of put their time, where to invest their time in this. And they're always improving the processes they have. Very rarely do you give up on a link building process. It does happen very, very occasionally, but you generally just keep evolving the the few that you you have and making it better and better and better. You'll then use software or hire people to create scripts or macros uh, or maybe uh, to interact with SaaS tools, APIs, like a Hunter API to find email addresses is a good example. And you'll use those, that level of automation to massively improve the efficiency of your existing processes, which you've built and have been doing manually. And that will increase your efficiency overall. And just like the numbers will start to become amazing. All this also requires you to religiously track data for everything. So how much outreach, how many messages you're sending, who you're sending them to, when you're sending them, what you said, all this kind of stuff. You need spreadsheets and databases and, and all that on point so that you know what's working, you know what to improve, and you know what to stop if anything's if anything's not working. And so you don't fuck things up by you know emailing the same person 20 times or whatever. Yeah. Let's jump to monetization now because I think I've talked quite a few times about monetization, but I'll talk about like it as you built your site. I think I see a lot of amateurs do essentially what everyone else is doing. So it's like Amazon Associates, obviously, is not very popular these days, but still a lot of people are using it. Mediavine, all the really big networks. And also, I see a lot of amateurs being quite afraid to be. Uh, getting themselves into more involved business models where they would carry their own products, uh, where there would be sales funnels, where there would be all these things, etc. That massively caps 
the revenue. I know a lot of people who make good money and very few of them make it through Amazon. They will, you know, go ahead and create bespoke partnerships with e-commerce brands. They will create products themselves. They will find a way to, you know, take something where they got 4% on Amazon and or 3% and get 40% margin by carrying the product themselves. They will make agreements with other brands for sponsored content. They will rent retargeting pixels on their site. They will run email funnels. They will run all these things that, I mean, again, it's one of these things where, you know, we start talking about email on the podcast and the download numbers goes like, <laughs> and like nobody gives a shit. Again, if you're one of these people, well, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, and we talk about Amazon is the biggest downloads, basically. And so, and it's like, what it shows is, well, where is the crowd? It's, it's on these things that everyone else is doing. And, and when everyone is doing something, then it's very rare that you manage to be on top of the world with the tactics that everyone is doing. You need to kind of like be a little bit different. I think that if you want to transition from the Samato to Pro, and you have a website that's making some money already, then looking at how to make more money with your existing traffic and experimenting with that. So uh, an example, for example, is uh, an example, for example, yes, for sure. One of our sites we uh, was monetized with Amazon and uh, we found this uh, site that just sells similar items and ships globally. And can Amazon was down to 3%, I think. And then this site, if we do in a volume, will pay us 10%. And we ran a test on three pages that were getting decent traffic and swapped the links. And uh, what we've done is uh, actually last weekend, I took the numbers and I calculated our revenue, our EPC on Amazon and our, oops, and our EPC on that site and figured out that essentially we were making double the money with that new affiliate program on these three test pages. So now what we're going to do is we're going to roll out a much bigger experiment on maybe 20 pages or 30 pages try to see if we're confirming these numbers. And if we do, then we'll roll out this site-wide and hopefully double the revenue for that site in terms of affiliate revenue. And this is the kind of stuff that, you know, takes a site from okay money to pretty good money or great money uh, and can really be a game changer in the sense that imagine if you have double the money to invest in content, if you can hire better people or create more content, if you can hire a full-time link builder to work on your site. So this money creates more money by creating growth and creating available cash flow. And so that's how you create that like kind of like trickling effect of, of growing fast versus stagnating just by that one swap on that site. And so that is what many amateurs don't do because they're afraid. And also when you do this kind of test, it's very possible that we take three pages that get good traffic, swap, swap the links, and make only a quarter of the money and lose money in the process of learning. And it, it's scary to do that. And that's why a lot of people who do A-B tests just, just freak out because Many A-B tests lose you money, but if you're not willing to do them, then you will never get to that level where you can really make great money from your website. And also, if like let's say we figure that out. Let's say we roll this out to our entire site. You know what? This opens us up to Mark. It opens us up to the idea of actually buying competitors and just swapping the links out and maybe merging them to our site or running multiple sites in the niche or something like this, because we can essentially make double the money for that. So again, it creates massive opportunity for growth, just from that will to experiment and will to like play with a little bit more advanced monetization. Imagine if we were running, let's say, an email list on that site too, and we're increasing revenue by a further 50% or something, then yeah, it definitely makes sense to find competitor sites that just monetize Amazon, buy them out, swap all of these, triple the revenue on these sites, and reflip them if you want, you know? So 
that is how pros look at monetization and the kind of plays you can do if you get out of the Amazon media value stuff that everyone does, you know? Yeah, so the way I think of it is like the amount of traffic you have or the amount of visitors you have like multiplied by the value per visitor that you're you're generating is how much money you're going to make. So we as SEOs spend a lot of time trying to increase the amount of visitors we get. And I think that that side of things gets a disproportionately large amount of yeah. attention and effort. When in fact, it's actually very easy to increase the revenue per visitor through finding better programs, through optimizing your site so it converts better, uh, and through very little, very simple things that are measurable and trackable and, and just not difficult to do. But for some reason, people focus way, way more on, on just uh, let's, let's get 50% more traffic. Because it's doing more the take, same. You know, years. Because it's like figuring out pneumatization requires you to get out of your comfort zone and do something you haven't done on your site before. So it requires you to sit and like figure out something new. Whereas doing more SEO when you already have hundreds of pages is just, oh, okay, let's just, you know what I mean? It's kind of like this routine thing and like humans love routine and doing the same thing again and again. And so that's why they do that. And it's, it's also, it's tricky because doing more SEO is a factor of growth, right? So it doesn't feel like you're wasting your time because you will still grow. But, uh, you know, it's like figuring out monetization is a multiplier. It's not like SEO is linear growth. And then the monetization is the multiplier to your uh, traffic growth. And so after a certain point of traffic, monetization trumps traffic by a long shot, provided you already have some traffic. And the thing is, if you're able to monetize, then you can just buy the traffic of other people by either buying their site or buying traffic, so paid traffic, etc. Like there's so many things you can do. Like if you run a full funnel, etc., like start running Facebook ads, start having affiliates if you have products. All of that, so you can you can then trade money for traffic. It's like you make more money by trading money for traffic than trading traffic for money, i.e., selling ads. You know. But the the thing with monetization is everyone loves Amazon because I mean it converts relatively okay. But the reason they love it is because it's, it's no easy. Yeah, it's no work. You don't have to. You don't have to think. You just type in type in a product, and they have a product about it. You get your affiliate link. Bang, you're done. Like figuring out the affiliate programs, like. In a, in a space, like looking at which ones actually are likely to convert based on their, their sales pages, testing them out, registering even sometimes oh, can be a massive pain in the, pain in the ass. The tech in the, all your, yeah, the tech in the, managing all your logins and tracking and sub IDs so you can like attribute things correctly. It's a massive pain in the ass. And that's just with affiliate, right? If you really want to increase your revenue per visitor, per user, you need to create your own products. So you need to start branding, so like sourcing your own products from China or somewhere, branding it and you know, developing products that way or creating info products and courses. And you know, that is not like, trust me, that's not an easy thing to do. A lot of people think, oh, I just bang up a course, make a few videos and, and sell it. And 95% of the courses out there are, are pretty Crap. shit. Yeah. And, you know, you can tell that they're kind of unloved and people just don't really put the effort in to, to make something good. And the same is true with physical products as well, right? Look on Amazon for anything and there's like so much shit out there with like terrible reviews. But like the few products at the absolute top of the game who the creators spend like a lot of time branding and like making good design decisions about how to create that product. They're the ones that win and they're the ones that win the monetization game. And those companies are those who are just buying up affiliate sites and like uh, directing it toward directing traffic towards their own physical products, say on, on Amazon. We know a few, know a few people who are doing that. 
Uh, and it's just like, you can't compete with that because it's such a time-consuming, difficult thing to get into. But, you know, that being said, if you don't start, you'll never get there. So it's something to think about as well. Yep. Uh, that's why we're getting someone else to take out the SEO uh, for me, actually, so I can focus more on this thing. I'm actually quite excited for that. Okay, pick up the last point. Okay, last point is about growth. So growing your site. And it's kind of a mentality thing as well, but also a practical thing. So as an amateur, you're very conservative. In, I mean, obviously you want to grow, right? In the, in the early days, those, you know, 100% increases where you go from 30 visitors to yeah, 60 visitors matter. a day. You know, it's, it's typical it's SEO case study, meetings. right? Increase but traffic by 100% is like 10 to 20. It's like, wow. <laughs> but there's a thing that, when, especially when people, you know, quit their jobs, they go full time, they get, start getting very conservative. They stop pushing the boat. They stop experimenting with things which can bring them massive, massive growth. They just want to make, all they want to do is make more content and, and more links. And as much as we preach, that is the way, the way to go. They stop kind of like looking for new ideas to improve the quality or the efficiency or like we talked about like the monetization stuff um, before. They're just kind of like seeking to, to maintain their profit and like a nice bit of growth, but they kind of almost stop dreaming for the seven figure kind of range. Uh, and I see this a lot, particularly when people get to like 3K, 4K a month yeah. and they can pay all their bills it's and a lazy range. can have a nice life and travel. It's like that's, they, that's what people, people split, you know, pe the people that want to build something big and the people that just want to pay the bill. There's like a massive split at that. Right? Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's absolutely fine. There are, I know a lot of people who have amazing, super fun lives. Uh, they do very little work. Not very little. They still work hard, but... They work, work smart rather than hard, I would say, and they travel and they just like have a great time. And that's what they want to do. And hats off to them. But if you want to like really take this to the next level, the site, it gets harder and you have to work more the bigger you get, essentially. So it's it's kind of like you need to be able, you need to come into a mindset of, okay, I've reached this kind of like sustainable level. All my basic needs are met. I'm start saving some money and stuff. But then you need to find motivation from somewhere to get from you know 10k to 100k a month, and it's quite difficult because I mean, what else are you going to spend that money on? There's definitely diminishing returns from each extra thousand dollars a month or whatever that you're you're making. Uh, so it's something you, you have to be careful of. It's something that also it's hard to tell which side you'll be until you get there. So a lot of people seem like very hungry, and then they get to that point, it's like. <laughs> It just falls flat and vice versa as well. Some people are like kind of shy and, and timid at the beginning and they start doing well and they like it really boosts them and they become like really pushing, etc. cetera. The hunger comes out. Yeah. And so it's really hard to tell. Like so a lot of people will say they're on one side and end up on the other side and, and vice versa. So it's it's quite interesting. And to it changes over actually. changes over time as well. You know, like when you're young and you know your priorities are different, but as you get older, you you know, you're thinking more long term and these things start to become like the balance of importance becomes a bit different. One other thing I wanted to say uh, around amateurs and growing their site is they take a very sort of scattergun approach as well. And they end up doing a lot of stuff but not really following through with it, not really tracking it properly, not really seeing what works. The way to, to get growth really is to try a lot of stuff. And then when you find something that hits, like drop everything and zoom in on that and like just really make that one niche category, product, whatever it is, work and just exploit it. Um, that's, that's what businesses do. I think that at the pro level, you have a much different mindset with that than the amateur level, I'd say. All right. Well, we're going to close it here and we're going to do something I forgot to say at the beginning of the episode, which is if you're watching on YouTube, 
then you can actually click on the subscribe button and the bell icon below if you don't want to miss any of our video. Thumbs up really help with distribution as well. It would be really nice. And if you're listening to the audio podcast, you can subscribe on any podcast platform. So I'm not going to list them. Uh, the platform podcast you want, you can go and search for Toy Hacker Podcast and subscribe. And you'll receive our latest episode every week. We have more than 200 episodes as well. If you haven't listened to all of them, then that's your homework for this week. And well, thank you for listening to this one. And we'll see you next week for another one. Have a good week.